you're here. All right. I want to talk to you guys this morning about baptism. We just had a baptism, right? So I thought, well, what a great time. I'm going to actually be talking more in, this, in, the, in, the, in, in my talk for the whole church about baptism, so I wanted to start with you, okay? But I want to talk about baptism. I'm not going to use water. Nobody's going to get wet this morning, okay? Well, that hasn't already. I want to use my wedding ring to talk about baptism, okay? Now, what does a wedding ring have to do with baptism? Well, what does a wedding ring have to do with, um, with being married? Now, if, I, if, I, if I'm married, am I married if I don't wear a wedding ring? If I, if I have been in the marriage ceremony and I stood there with my lovely bride, would Miss Julie stand up? That's my lovely bride. There she is, okay? Now, if I stood in a, in a wedding ceremony with her and I made the vows of marriage to her before God and witnesses and the, and the, the pastor performing the wedding declared us to be husband and wife, but we didn't even have a ring, would we still be married? Yeah. Well, maybe I just didn't like to wear jewelry. I just didn't like to wear a ring. And so she wears a ring, but I just chose not to wear a ring. Would I still be married? All right. So then what does the ring have to do with being married? The ring is kind of like uh, baptism in that a person isn't saved. A person isn't forgiven and joined to Jesus because they've been baptized. You can be believe in Jesus and be saved, and you haven't yet been baptized. But what the ring, but what baptism is like, is like the ring. If I do, if I do wear a wedding a wedding ring, why would I do that? Why would I put this ring on my finger? Yes. To show that you love. To show everybody else that sorry, ladies, I'm taken. I belong to her, right? Every, I, want, I want everybody, I'm happy for everybody to know that I have taken my stand and my stand is with her, right? I'm declaring what is already true. Now, let's say we never went to church. We never were married. But one day I just decided I'm going to put a ring on. Does putting the ring on make me married? If I gave my ring, and let's, I, can't, I can't get it off again now, but if I, if I took my ring and if you put that ring on, would that mean that you were married? No. You see, baptism is like that. You can put on baptism, but if you haven't believed in Jesus, that's just, it's just water. You see, baptism is our chance to put on a ring in a way that declares that I have believed in Jesus. Itself, it doesn't really do anything. But it's like my wedding ring. If I have believed in Jesus... Then I want to be baptized in order to declare in that way that Jesus gave me that I have believed in him. Okay? So when you've believed in Jesus or somebody you know has believed in Jesus, then as they begin to understand what it really means, like my son talked about, when he really began to understand what it meant for Jesus to forgive his sin, that's when he said, well, I too want to be baptized and tell the rest of the church and anybody else who's here, that I believe in Jesus. That's what baptism is for, all right? Okay, well, let's go on back, and uh, we'll, we'll carry on. We're gonna be, as I said, we're going to be talking about baptism today, and because we're talking about baptism today, I probably need to make one thing very clear right up front. Uh, uh, D- Daniel came to Julie and I 
uh, earlier this week, and he, and, he, and he said, you know, I'd been talking with Pastor Brian, and, and I want to be baptized. It's like, okay, all right. That's great. And, and we talked a little bit more, unpacked that with him, and why, and why now, and so on. And so, and, and uh, then I asked, well, well, when will you think to do this? He said, well, this Sunday. Okay. I said, well, that might be just a little funny. I said, because actually I'm, I'm preaching about baptism this Sunday. I'm preaching from Matthew 28. I said it could look like, you know, that, that I, I, I went, rounded up the kids and said, okay, well, I'm going to be preaching about baptism. Now, who, you know, I need an object lesson here, guys. And so I said, I said well, maybe we should wait a week then. And he said, well, he said, I actually think it's kind of neat. He said, I didn't know what you were preaching on, but the last couple weeks, God has been working on me on this. And he'd been spending time in the Word and digging in and studying, what is this about? And then he went to Brian and, he, and determined, yes, I'm going to do this. And I'm gonna do. He had no idea what I was preaching on. And so he said, that's not like a God thing, and I want to leave it that way. So I said, okay, we'll do that. But I just want to assure you this morning that no pastor's kids were coerced <laughs> in the preparation of this sermon, okay? The, the coercion begins now, all right? So as we talk about uh, what's before us in, in God's word this morning. It's, it's, this, uh, there's a subject here that this storyline is a story that includes fear. There are things in this message this morning and in this passage in God's word that will make some of us afraid. And we'll resp- that fear will come in different ways and for different reasons. The fear is, is in the story. It's in, it's in the text. But, you know, fear is a funny thing. Fear does not have to control us. Oftentimes, certain circumstances will bring fear. Certain situations might cause us to be afraid, but that fear doesn't have to. As we read the opening of the story, we're going to find that different people both had fear, but they respond to that fear in very different ways. For some, it presses them away from the truth and into compromise. For others, that fear presses them closer to follow the Lord, and then he answers that fear. And what he sets before us today, what he's going to set before us in a charge, a challenge, a command, a a commission this morning for our church, might, might cause you a little bit of angst, a little bit of fear. But listen first for how the Lord answers that fear on either side Jesus, on either side of the commission he's going to give us, there are two things that they need to know, two things we need to know, two things that Jesus confirms for them in order to live out the one central command that is, that is above all else for us as a church. So I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Now, whether you, you uh, brought a, 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 a study Bible with you this morning, maybe your Bible is electronic, I'm going to assume that you are not texting, that that really is your Bible this morning. Or if you, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, grab one out of the pew in front of you. I want you to be able to follow along in God's Word. We're going to be in Matthew 28, and in the pew Bibles, that's page 706, 706. Matthew 28. L- listen for that fear. Listen especially for how Jesus answers it which opens the way for what he calls us to do. Now this is after Christ's death, after his burial. 
after that Friday and then the following Saturday where the body is lied in the tomb and now it is Sunday morning. We know it is Easter morning. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where they lay, where they had laid him. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid and yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. Good morning. Shalom. <laughs> they came to him and they clasped at his feet and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and they, they stole away the body while we were asleep. And if this report gets to the governor and you're going to get in trouble, don't worry, we will satisfy him. We will keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. The story has been widely circulated among the Jews, even to this very day. And then, here's where it picks up. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped. But some doubted. When Jesus came... Then Jesus came near to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Promise number one. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything as I have commanded you. And here's promise number two. Surely, I am with you to the very end of the age. Father, would your word and would the certainty of your promise strengthen us as it strengthened them. Lord, would the, would the confirmation of the truth that you are, you are Lord, your Son has been given all authority, not only in heaven, but also right here on earth, right here in our midst, and the fact that he is with us, would that give us the courage to go forward in his commission? Lord, open your word up to us this morning. Let none of us escape, Father, what you have to say to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. They go to Galilee. They go to a mountain. It's funny. They go to the mountain in Galilee, isn't it? You're wondering about that? You know, it was on a mountain in Galilee that the characteristics of the coming kingdom were first unfolded in those Beatitudes, a Sermon on the Mount in Galilee. It was on a mountain in Galilee that, that even as the nation as a whole was rejecting the message of Christ, but there the, the lame and the blind, the broken and the deformed were, were brought to Jesus and he healed. 
and multitudes were healed in the signs of the kingdom. They got a foretaste of the lifting of the curse in Christ's coming kingdom there on a mountain in Galilee. And it was there on a mountain in Galilee, the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, that a few of his disciples got a glimpse of Jesus in his coming glory. And he was transfigured before their eyes. And they saw him not merely as a man, but they saw him glorified. And now, in anticipation of that kingdom, in the certainty of it, it's on a mountain in Galilee where the risen Savior stands and meets his disciples. And this is probably that place where 500 of them saw him at one time. And there, when he meets them, they come and they worship. And he gives them, it's there on that mountain in Galilee, that he gives them the commission to take the good news of the risen Christ, his salvation, forgiveness in him, and his coming kingdom to all nations. And as they gathered to worship him, but some doubted. There was some of that lingering fear. Could it really be him? Could it really be true? And sometimes we wonder about our faith and the strength of it and how that maybe keeps us from God. But when some of them doubted, what does Jesus do? The text says he actually came nearer to them. Not every translation bears out that aspect, but he came nearer. In the midst of their doubts, he answers those doubts. He responds to those doubts by coming nearer to them. And he has a charge. He has a commission. They have a divine calling upon their lives and ours. And yet, the, 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 the weight of that calling has to be held up by two strong pillars. And those two strong pillars are like two strong arms that bracket that commission, that bracket that calling, and they're the confirmation of two things that speak directly to our doubts. And those things are, all authority has been given to me. Not only in heaven we get that, but on earth. All authority has been given to me, he says, on earth. And then he gives them the charge, he gives them the commission, and then he says, and I am with you. All authority has been given to me, and I am with you. What is he saying? Put it in the vernacular of our day. I'm in charge, and I'm not going anywhere. I am. I'm in charge, and I've got you. I've got your back. I'm with you. You know, there's an uh, assurance as well as an accountability in that. Think of it as, a, as, a, as if you were a child. Think of it if you know mom or dad's in charge, right? Think of it, okay, if mom is here, well, nobody's going to mess with me. Mom's right here, right? There's assurance there. The authority is here. My mom or my dad is right here. Nobody's going to mess with me. Nobody's going to get away with anything with me. Mom's here. There's safety for a child there, right? And not only that, but it ought to be as well that I'm not going to get away with anything because mom's here. There's an accountability to us there with his presence also, isn't there? Nobody's going to mess with me. I'm not going to get away with anything because mom or my dad is, is here. And Jesus says to his own, he says, 
I have got this. I am in charge. And I have got you. I am with you. You know, we, we translate that, I am with you always. And I, and I looked, and every version translates it that, that way. But, but when you go into the original language, it actually says, I am with you all the days. And you say, well, what's the big deal? That's like, you know, that's always. All the days is always. Sure, that, that makes a lot of sense. Except, not all days are equal, are they? Some days are different. Some days are, some days are easy. Some days are fall, highs of 78, clear sky, and smooth sailing. Some days aren't. Some days are hard. Some days the bottom drops out. And Jesus says, I'm with you then, too. I'm with you when everybody else is against you. I'm with you not only in the good days. Uh, you know, we have a saying, you know, boy, today was great. Man, God was really with me today. Yeah? Oh, he was with you yesterday. He'll be with you tomorrow. He'll be with you when it doesn't seem like he's with you. I am with you all the days, okay? On the strength of those promises. I've got this. I'm with you. On the strength of those promises, we carry out this commission to make disciples. On the basis of the confidence, we carry out his commission. We do Jesus' work. We don't do it on our own. We do it on the basis of I am with you. We talked last week in John chapter 14. We just said, I'm, I'm, I'm going away. The Spirit's coming. He will be in you. And because the Spirit of the living God is in you, you will do greater things. And those greater things are wrapped up in this commission. By that Spirit, we are sent on His mission in the midst of this life. He says to make disciples. To make disciples. Now, now the the uh, the the command, the commission to make disciples is defined. It's understood by three modifiers. In in grammar, they're participles. They're 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 three words that explain what it means to make disciples. What does making disciples include? And making disciples, making followers of Jesus, includes three things: going, baptizing, teaching. Okay? So don't think of the command is to go, and when you go, what you're supposed to do is make disciples. No. Making disciples includes three things. Going, baptizing, teaching. You make disciples. You make followers of Jesus, those who walk with Jesus and learn of Him by going, by baptizing, and by teaching, okay? I want to unpack those three in the rest of the time that we've got. Those three things. What does it mean to be going? What does it mean to be baptizing? What does it mean to be teaching? What does that include? I think going is perhaps the most challenging of the three. Going is essential. Here they are huddled together in the holy huddle on a mountain in Galilee. And this is a good mountain. We talked about that. It's a good place to be. They had a lot of good memories here at this mountain. But he says, no, no, no. You don't make disciples by staying. You, make, you don't make disciples by coming to the mountain. You make disciples by going. And when Jesus said, make disciples of all nations, that was scandalous. That was scandalous in his day. What are you, all nations? You mean like those people? This is Galilee of the Gentiles. And he says, all the nations, all the peoples, not just people like you, not just people like us. Going means going out of our own and going to other peoples, others not so much like us. The early church wrestled with this, didn't they? 
the, there, there was a Jewish cultural influence in the church because it grew out of hope for, for Israel's Messiah. And yet the church was bigger than that. The church was for all peoples, all nations. And yet the early church wrestled with, well, how, how do we fit these non-Jewish people into our circles? And those cultural boundaries affected them. That's something we still wrestle with today. Going to people not like us, and yet going is essential to making disciples. They were told to to go to those others, people who didn't grow up in synagogue or church. Go to those that had piercings and and tats, that their language was a little different. They didn't know the church or synagogue lingo. These were the people who, these all peoples there to go to are the people who, who dance, drink, and chew and go with girls who do. And you're to go to those peoples. We make disciples by going. We make disciples by going out to where they are. What would Jesus do? Well, Jesus went to Matthew's party. You know, we had in, in our church in South Africa, we had one of the things that we did, we, we would hold a Matthew party. You know what a Matthew party is? Remember Matthew or, or Levi, the tax collector in the Gospels. And, and uh, he, after he heard Jesus and, and, he, and, he, and he believed in Jesus, he, he had a dinner party and invited all of his friends. And these were not nice people. These were not wonderful, sweet, warm, and loving people. These were his tax collector and sinner friends. And the Pharisees couldn't believe that Jesus would go to his party. But Matthew had found the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew had found the forgiveness in the one who could forgive, and Matthew wanted his friends to meet him too. And so he, invi- he had a party, and he invited his friends, and he invited Jesus. We, we had Matthew parties. And, and a Matthew party looked like this. Somebody would try, whether it, was, whether it was neighbors or whether it was friends from work, he would invite several of their friends who didn't go to church in for a party. Hey, come on! We're gonna we're gonna put some meat on the grill, and that was big in South Africa. We're gonna put some meat on the grill, and we're gonna have some. I want to have some of our, my, our our good friends who are folks that I really appreciate. And I really wanted you to be there. You're one of those people that I appreciate. And along with all of those friends, those all peoples, you would invite to a Matthew party. You would invite a couple of your Christian friends, and not just any Christian friends. You wouldn't invite those Christian friends that uh, didn't do those kind of things. You'd invite people that knew the Lord's forgiveness and were willing to tell other people about it. A couple of them, just to help come close, introduce these friends of mine to a couple of other friends of mine who could introduce them to Jesus. It's a Matthew party. Matthew party was about going in order to make disciples. Going means being on mission. It means being other-centered. It's, it's, it's one of the things that I've become convinced of in the time that I was on sabbatical. I, I, I read a book, and I'm convinced this, this book had a pattern for us. It, it, it had a phrase in the title that uh, has stuck with me. It talked about an apostolic congregation. Now, when I say apostolic, you get a little nervous already. You know, you're thinking about those churches over in Hawkinson, you know, some guy from Finland or something, Right? There's other apostolic churches that are really focused on an apostolic leadership where the leader is like an apostle and whatever he says, you know, you serve the leader. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about an apostolic leader. I'm not talking about an apostolic church. I'm talking about an apostolic congregation. The word apostle means a sent one, a sent messenger. It's probably one of the closest New Testament words to our understanding of the term missionary. Okay? 
An apostolic congregation is a sent congregation. An apostolic congregation is a going congregation. That's all that it means. I'm convinced that God would have us more as an apostolic congregation. That God would, would push us. We, we, we think in terms of coming to church, but, but that God would also have us going from church. God would have us to be going to the peoples around them. Being an apostolic congregation means including opportunities for people to come in. That's what Candy Carnival is about, Candy Corn Carnival is about, isn't it? It's an opportunity for people around us. We talked to you about going out into a couple of neighborhoods and doing some door hangers and things. Inviting people on that night, October 31st, to come here with their kids in a safe place. And here they would also, at those children's level and a family level, they would encounter, they would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of fun games and candy. It's, it's inviting them in because we're going to them. We want to reach them. We'll do things. Coming up at Christmas time, there's a, there's a neat thing that Pastor Evan's putting together called Christmas Jazz. Already be thinking about who you know that likes some of the best jazz music in the Northwest. Why? That's an invitational opportunity for folks to come in and to be able to hear the gospel with something else that they're interested in, something that's worth inviting them to. So, Being an apostolic congregation, being a going congregation, also means being an inviting congregation. But if we're going to make disciples, we have to go out where people are. Our daughter Ruth is going. Our daughter Ruth is going back to Zimbabwe. She's here, but her heart's already there. And so she's busy putting the things together, what it will take to get from here back to Zimbabwe on a longer term again. She's excited about that. You talk to her, she'll talk about Zimbabwe, and she'll show you the videos of her kids, and she can't wait to be going there. And going to Africa takes a lot of work, takes a lot of preparation, a lot to do to make that happen. Well, going here takes intentionality, it takes preparation. But you know, going here is actually a whole lot easier. It's a whole lot closer at hand to you than going all the way to Africa. And the need is the same. We need to be going to those people around us. You may not be going to Africa. You can go next door. You can go down the street. You can go relationally to those Matthews, those Gentiles, those all-nations people who are right around us. Going means going to people not like you. That's the point. They were told to go to all peoples. These Jewish disciples were told to go to all peoples, to all nations. Now, we're not worried so much about all the countries necessarily. We're sending people out further than local. But around us, there's a lot of other people. This point I want you to get in going. Going is pressing out beyond your circles. It's pressing out towards people that are not so much like you. They're not the people you would normally go to, but they're the people that Jesus would have you to go to. People who aren't like you. Now, it might, it might be people that are on the rougher side of life. But for some of you, maybe it would be people, a person who's not so much on the rougher side of life. Maybe for some of you, it's that grouchy person in your neighborhood. You know, the one who, who, who stands in her yard and glares at you as you and your longboard go rolling by, right? But you, in your cleverness, find a way that you could show her some kindness. You find a way that you could show that person just some unexpected kindness. Serve them in some way. And along the way, maybe they'll ask, why do you do this? 
why are you doing this for me? Why are you helping me? Why do you bother? Why do you care? And it might be awkward, but maybe you'll say, this sounds a little weird, but I just feel like God wants me to tell you that he loves you and his son Jesus died to give you the same life that he gave me. I don't know how that'll come out in your conversation. Going to others might be praying for somebody who you hear at work, at school, is having a tough time. And it might be simply the first step of going might just be, could, would it be all right if this week I prayed for you? And then you go to them again the next week. You check in. You say, how is it going? I have been praying for you. And you raise that, that friendship up into a, a, a spiritual level. If we're going to be making disciples, we need to be going to the people around us. And going ought to lead to baptizing. So I want to move from going. A time is time is slipping away from us. I want to move from going into baptizing. Baptize if going if going is missional, then baptizing is is confessional. He says, be baptized in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is handed to us from our Lord Himself down through the ages of church to be a Trinitarian confession. Now, I wrote this out. I had a way to put this. It was so cool. I got so many teams to tease together. Here it is. This is a timeless tradition of Trinitarian testimony of trust. Isn't that good? That Jesus himself gave us. It's a confession of God. There's understanding there that I am identifying myself. God the Father, the Father of Jesus Christ, that God is my God. When I stand in this baptism in the name of the Father and the Son, I'm declaring that Jesus is the Son of God, is the Christ, and that he died for my sin and he rose again. And I'm baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who comes from God, who indwells those who believe, and that Spirit who will be the power in me to live out that life of Christ so that I can be going to the people around me, so that I can be living in those things that Jesus has called us to obey. It's confessional. It's standing and it's, and it's drawing a line in the sand or a line in the water, but lines in the water don't last too long. It's standing and drawing a line and saying, I believe this. I commit myself to this. I stand with Christ in the midst of a world that is rebelling against him. I'll take that stand. And that stand is strengthening. Now, for some of you, you've, you've believed in Christ for a while, but you haven't put the wedding ring on yet. You haven't declared definitively, I take my stand. Before the congregation or before the world, you haven't said, I take my stand in my faith with Christ. I die with Him. I will live with Him. I will live out His new life by the power of His Holy Spirit, His resurrection life in me. Baptism is a stand to take that He hath called us. It is that timeless tradition of Trinitarian testimony of trust in Christ who died for us and rose again. And we live that out. We step into that by under the water in baptism and back up again in his resurrection. He's given us 
baptized. So those who believe, now, now bapti- baptism here in the Great Commission implies as well faith. When in the, on the day of Pentecost, uh, the, uh, um, Peter stands up, all this stuff's going on, and Peter stands up and he makes sense of it to them. And he explains to them from God's word what is happening. That this Jesus whom they rejected, they crucified, God has raised him from the dead. And they say, oh my, what should we do? And, Paul, and, and Peter says, be baptized, repent and be baptized. Believe in Jesus and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. It was a, it was a thing. When I believe, I'm baptized. I declare that I believe and I'm standing with Christ, buried and risen in that mode of baptism. Maybe for you, you're here this morning, you say, I haven't done that yet. been thinking about that, but you know, it's kind of awkward. It's kind of a weird thing, getting all wet and everything, but I don't quite understand that. Well, there's, there's meaning there. I would love to talk with you further about that. I'd love to unpack more why it is that we do that. But I would encourage you, if you believe in Christ and you haven't taken that stand, doing that, standing before others in a way that is awkward, in a way that you were hesitant and you were doubting somewhat on the basis of His authority, on the basis that He will be with you, go for it. Declare your faith. Stand for your faith. And you'll find when, it's, when you have stood for your faith before these scary people, you might find it easier to stand for your faith in front of others as well. Making disciples by going, by baptizing, and by teaching them to obey. If baptizing is confessional, if going is missional, then, then um, teaching them all things. I lost my last word there. Teaching them all things is transformational. We think about teaching. We think about learning. We have Bible classes and we learn new things and it is informational. Jesus didn't tell them to know new things. He didn't tell them to know the things I explained to you. He said teaching them to obey, teaching them to live in and to live out. The learning that we do ought to lead to doing. The learning, ought, the learning that we do, what we learn about, and you know, this struck me this summer in my preaching. I have been pressed by the Lord to be more, more I, I love to teach, I love to explain, but I have got to be, as, as, as your pastor, helping you more to step into this truth of God's Word. Because God has called us to teach others to obey all things that He has commanded them. That the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ is not merely informational, it is transformational. We step into it, and as we step into it, that's where we know Him. I have hanging in my office a couple of medallions. They're from Hood to Coast. I was, I, was the, I was the 12th runner on our Hood to Coast team. You know, I got the armband. I, I get to keep it because I didn't have anybody at the end of the race to hand it off to. I was, the, I was the closer. I was the one that got to bring us in to the end. The rest of the team joins in as we cross the finish line. I did Hood to Coast, and that last leg was awesome. And, and later on that same year, I, 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 I ran a half marathon. Ah, some of you are thinking, a oh, half a lot of you haven't come close, all right? I ran a half marathon, and I got the medallion here to prove it. I was second in my old age category, all right? Does that make me a runner? Does having, earning these medallions, does that make me a runner? Well, you know, I, I look at these medallions, and they say 2008 
They tell me I was a runner. But it doesn't mean I'm a runner now. And you know, now and again, taking a quick jog around the neighborhood doesn't make me much more of a runner. Are you a discipler? Are you a disciple? Are you a follower of Jesus? I don't really think we can be disciples, followers of Jesus, if we're not following where he's going. We cannot be disciples of Jesus if we are not disciplers of Jesus. If we are not going to the others outside our comfort zone. If we are not sharing a testimony of faith that gives people a gospel witness that they could believe in and could also be baptized by. If we are not... Telling them about our God, telling them about our Savior. You know, I had I, I went to um, I come to Awana each Thursday night. I'm I'm, I'm the hangout pastor. I, I hang out here in case something happens that they something arises and they, and and one of the servants needs my help. And uh, normally that never happens, so I just get to hang out and visit with some of the parents or or, or leaders along the way. And uh, I had a couple of conversations with a couple of uh, uh, of men this Thursday. And I thought about it afterwards, and I thought, man, what a wasted opportunity. One of those conversations was about NFL teams, merely and only, and how they're all doing this year. And it's exciting. You know, the Seahawks actually have a defense this year. Did you hear that? And yet, so what? The other conversation that was political, you know, we're close to elections and all, and actually I was, I was, I was more of a, believe it or not, I was more of a good listener in that conversation. And uh, he, he, was, he went on and on, and he had some, some angst built up. And, and uh, you know, you know I, he was preaching to the choir. As I could have, what, what I should have asked in that conversation was, in the midst of this election, you know, what, what, do, you, what do you fear? And how does our faith answer that fear? How does our, what does our faith speak to that fear? That, that conversation could have gone spiritual, and in my wise leadership, it never did. Oh, it was a wasted opportunity as far as discipling is concerned. The next day, after a busy, very busy Friday, and the day I had a conversation with a young man. It was a conversation about failure and forgiveness and faith, and a conversation that I am quite sure will stretch into eternity as far as difference made. That conversation this week meant a whole lot more to me than the Seahawks defense. It really did. Are we disciples? Are we disciples? Are we, are we, are we, and put it in the, in the youth uh, terms from Wednesday night, are we, are we um, followers of Jesus or are we merely fans? Are we, are we watching what's going on and we're singing the team song, but we're not in the game? You know, reading Sports Illustrated doesn't give you the same appreciation for football as 60 minutes of play. If we're going to be disciples, then we will need to be making disciples. And we will be making disciples by going, by baptizing a confession of faith toward others and by teaching others and walking together where we get life on life where we get into growth groups together so we can talk about the stuff of life where even if it's in a class together we press in that in that sunday morning class we press into what difference then does this truth make the truth is no longer merely informational but it's transformational we will press into teaching one another how to walk with the lord 
It's funny that Jesus commissioned his disciple on a mountain in Galilee. Because didn't they mock Jesus? Didn't they say to him, well, you're from Nazareth, right? What prophet is there that comes from Galilee? Oh, but there was one. There was one. His name was Jonah. Do you remember? Jonah was that prophet who, like you and I, didn't want to go to other peoples. They're not nice people. They're not like us. And they don't think like us. They don't agree with us. They don't vote with me. They're not my kind of people. And yet God got his way with Jonah. It got a little messy in the midst of the big fish and all, but God got his way with Jonah. God got through to Jonah. You know what I want? I want God to go through us. I want our God to have his way with us, that he uses us going, baptizing, teaching to make disciples of the all kinds of people that are right around us. Would you, would you pray with me? Father, you have said that your spirit is with us. You have said that because your spirit is with us and in us, that greater things will do, greater things you'll do in us than even Jesus did. Lord, you have said it, it's true that you have all authority on heaven and earth and that you are with us. You've got this. You've got us. Lord, on the basis of that assurance, Lord, even today, give us courage to go. Give us courage to go to someone other, someone a little different. Lord, even today, give us, Lord, the courage to declare that we indeed believe in Jesus to someone who needs to hear that. Father, and help us as a church to, to, to press together around your truth in ways that reach into our lives, that we can not only know something different, but Lord, you would make us different. You would cause us by your truth to live different in your commandments. Father, we give ourselves to you offered this morning. Take, Lord, a commitment from me this morning, even as you would now receive our morning offering. Lord, we, we give this to you out of worship. Father, let us give ourselves out of worship to you as well. Use that offering. Lord, use us to make disciples. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all who agree said,